The abuse of methamphetamine has been increasing in the United States since the 1980s. After alcohol and marijuana, methamphetamines is a drug most frequently abused in the U.S. Methamphetamine is the only illegal drug that can be easily made from legally obtained ingredients. In this session, we're going to cover both the ACOG and SMFM data regarding methamphetamine abuse in women of reproductive age and its effects on pregnancy. And we're going to take a look at which medications, which are commonly prescribed, can actually test a patient positive for methamphetamine when they are non-drug users. So that's something we all have to be aware of when patients present with altered mental status and they get a talk screen by reflexic habit because some medications could put the patient at risk of inappropriate management because it could test positive for drugs when they are drug non-users. Methamphetamine is a more potent stimulant drug than its parent compound, amphetamine. Amphetamines were widely prescribed in the 1950s and the 60s for depression and obesity, but these medications were changed to Schedule II of the Controlled Substances Act in 1971 after the potential for abuse and addiction were recognized. Medical indications for methamphetamine are narcolepsy and attention deficit disorder, but they should only be used when these disorders are unresponsive to other treatments and at much lower doses than typical for recreational use. Street names for methamphetamine include meth, speed, ice, crystal, and biker's coffee. Yeah, biker's coffee. I was unaware of that one. Methamphetamine can be smoked, snorted, injected, or ingested orally or anally. When methamphetamine is smoked or injected, the user experiences an intense rush that lasts only a few minutes. Snorting or oral use of the drug produces euphoria, but not the intense high that is experienced if it is smoked or injected. The effects of snorting are felt within 3 to 5 minutes and within 15 to 20 minutes if it's ingested orally. Methamphetamine has a longer half-life than cocaine and has additional mechanisms of action in the CNS. Both cocaine and methamphetamine block the reuptake of dopamine at nerve endings, but methamphetamine also increases the release of dopamine, leading to higher concentrations of dopamine in the synapse, and this can be toxic to nerve terminals. The half-life of methamphetamine is about 12 hours compared with about one hour for cocaine. Now, besides the euphoria, the short-term effects of methamphetamine use includes increased wakefulness and energy and decreased appetite. Potential complications of methamphetamine use include arrhythmias, hypertension, seizures, and hyperthermia. Consequences of long-term use include addiction, which is a chronic relapsing disease characterized by compulsive drug-seeking, anxiety, confusion, insomnia, memory loss, weight loss, severe dental problems, otherwise known as meth mouth, depression, and violent behavior. Long-term users may display psychotic symptoms, including paranoia, visual, and auditory hallucinations, and delusions. They also have the sensation of insects crawling under the skin, a condition called formication, and this allows them to pick the skin repetitively, giving skin lesions. 
Psychotic symptoms may persist for months or years after stopping use and may recur over time. Brain imaging studies of long-term methamphetamine users have actually shown severe structural and functional changes. Okay, when we come back, let's take a look at the effects on pregnancy and infant outcome after methamphetamine use. The effects of methamphetamine use on pregnancy and the infant have been less well studied than those of opioids, alcohol, and cocaine. In addition, women who use methamphetamine regularly use tobacco, alcohol, and other drugs, which may confound the birth outcomes. Because of unrestricted manufacturing processes and chemical additives used by dealers to expand drug volume, a potential risk of illicit drug use is stratogenicity. Case reports and retrospective analysis have suggested that maternal methamphetamine use may be associated with a possible increase of defects of the female central nervous system, cardiovascular system, the GI system, as well as oral cleft and limb defects. However, case control and prospective studies have not confirmed these findings, so the question is still out. However, the Teratogen Information System database has added new helpful information regarding this potential birth defect causation. And according to Teratogen Information System database, the risk of teratogenicity after exposure to amphetamines during pregnancy has been rated as unlikely based on fair to good data. So hold on, even though the risk of birth defects seems to be very, very limited, that doesn't mean it's obviously okay. The risk of small for gestational age and low birth weight babies is consistently increased with methamphetamine use in pregnancy. In follow-up studies of a cohort of about 65 children born to Swedish women who had used amphetamines during pregnancy, their weight, height, and head circumference were all below those of an unselected sample at birth, one year, and even up to four years of age. Data has also shown, although it's been somewhat conflicting, an association between methamphetamine use and the risk of other pregnancy complications like hypertension, preterm birth, placental abruption, and in some studies there may be even a link to fetal death. But once again, a lot of these are hindered because a lot of confounding variables. In an ongoing prospective study of a cohort of children born to women who use methamphetamine during pregnancy and matched controls, prenatal methamphetamine exposure was associated with decreased arousal, increased stress, and poor quality of movement in the newborn. Reduction in volumes in the putamen, globus pallidus, and the hippocampus on MRI among methamphetamine-exposed children correlated with poor performance on attention and memory tasks. Functional magnetic resonance imaging studies in methamphetamine-exposed and alcohol-exposed alcohol-only exposed and controlled children found more diffuse activation of the brains of the methamphetamine group during verbal memory tasks, suggesting recruitment of compensatory systems. These changes were not seen with alcohol-only groups or the control group. So let's summarize the findings and the associations between methamphetamine use and pregnancy outcomes. Taken together, findings do not seem to support an increase in birth defects with the use of methamphetamine in pregnancy. But methamphetamine use is consistently associated with SGA infants and appears to be associated with neonatal and childhood neurodevelopmental abnormalities. 
there also is somewhat of a loose association in some studies with the use of methamphetamine and amphetamines and preterm labor hypertension, and placental abruption, although again, a lot of these studies are affected by confounding. Continued surveillance of children exposed is indicated, especially considering the potential for multiple contaminants in the drug and concomitant substance exposure, but as stated, further follow-up and evaluation are required to make sure these children don't have any gaps or delays. Now, regarding breastfeeding, amphetamine use inhibits prolactin release and can reduce breast milk supply because of that. Nonetheless, the concentration of amphetamines found in breast milk is from 2.8 to 7.5 times higher than that found in the maternal plasma. So it's reported that infants who ingest breast milk of women using amphetamines exhibit increased irritability, agitation, and crying. Amphetamines purchased illegally can contain, as we've already discussed, a mixture of substances with unpredictable harmful effects on the woman and her infant. So, according to SMFM and ACOG, it is therefore not recommended for women who are using methamphetamines or amphetamines to breastfeed their children. Again, women who are actively using methamphetamines or amphetamines should not breastfeed. Regarding treatment for methamphetamine or amphetamine abuse, at the present time, there are no medications approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to treat meth abuse or addiction. In other words, there are no available targeted medications that counteract the particular side effects associated with meth, reduce its addiction potential, or help recovering users to maintain abstinence. It is important to know, though, that throughout the U.S., there are various academic centers currently investigating certain medications, of course, off-label for methamphetamine abuse, but as of right now, none have been FDA approved or shown to be effective. Currently, methamphetamine or amphetamine addiction treatment begins with medical detox, and then once that is complete, there are a variety of treatments that can help with the recovery process. This can include things like inpatient care, outpatient continued closed surveillance, and a good support group network, and cognitive behavioral therapy. As we enter the end of our podcast, we have to remember what is reflex nature when a patient presents with altered mental status, either in the emergency department, outpatient clinic, or in labor and delivery. The reflexive action in order to protect both the patient and the fetus is to order a urine toxicology screen. But we can't forget that there are a variety of true medical conditions and some medications that are totally legal and well indicated that can actually test false positive for methamphetamines and a variety of other drugs. And that can put the patient in a bind when she's a non-drug user. Take, for example, the patient who is on a hypoglycemic agent, becomes hypoglycemic, and then gets a urine tox screen as part of routine management. And she's found to be methamphetamine positive. But did you know that certain diabetic meds can actually test positive for meth? Well, let's end the podcast when we come back covering some common medications that can actually test positive for methamphetamine in a non-drug-using patient. One of the problems in ordering tests reflexively for a presenting complaint is that it doesn't take into account the patient's history. 
For example, if the patient is on Wellbutrin, which is bupropion, and she gets a urine tox screen, be careful of those results. Bupropion is used to treat depression, help with weight loss, and support smoking sensation, but it may lead to a false positive when screening for amphetamines, methamphetamine, or LSD. Now, of course, it's always possible that the patient is taking both bupropion and those illicit substances, but in this case, further testing outside of the urine screen can be done to test for the specific agents, the specific drugs in question. Metformin or glucophage is the most commonly prescribed oral medication for diabetes. Taking metformin also can result in a positive test for amphetamines or methamphetamines. Prozac or fluoxetine and trazodone are both used to treat depression. Taking either may also result in a false positive test for amphetamines, methamphetamine, or LSD. And if your patient has recently had a cold, ask about any over-the-counter or behind-the-counter medications like Sudafed used for sinus and nasal congestion. Sudafed can be the cause of false positive tests for amphetamines and methamphetamine. All right, now in true disclosure, I did not know that this next medication could test positive for amphetamines or methamphetamine, but it can. Trandate or labetalol, which has both alpha and beta blocking drug ability for, of course, blood pressure control, can actually test false positive for amphetamines, methamphetamine, and even LSD. Uh, It's real, so you can look it up, but it's absolutely true. So you've got to know the patient's medical history and what meds she's taking when you interpret a urine tox screen. And again, it doesn't mean that she's not taking something illicit, but it just means to have some suspicion that that may be a false positive. And of course, it makes sense that Ritalin, because it's a well-known stimulant, can actually cause false positive tests from amphetamines, methamphetamine, and LSD as well. Okay, now that we're at the end of our podcast, I just want to throw out a quick other medication because this is something that I did not expect and wasn't aware of. If a patient is using naproxen or ibuprofen, which of course are two very common over-the-counter anti-inflammatory pain medications, their urine may actually test false positive for barbiturates. THC or PCP. Again, ibuprofen and naproxen can even show up on a talk screen for barbiturates THC or PCP. So try to figure that one out. And that brings us to a wrap. In 2019, the ACOG reaffirmed the data in its original committee opinion 479 referring to methamphetamine use in reproductive age women. That was one of the sources for this podcast. We also use data from SMFM, the CDC, and the GoodRx Corporation regarding false positive drug tests. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Clinical Pearls.